So what's the what's what's your first non PC violation? We should probably like uh, oh. I want to make this a running thing. <laughs> yeah. Is it the six foot tall blonde Oriental? Oh my God! A good lower. That's all right. You remember that fantasy I've had since junior high? You're kidding! I swear, you found a six foot red headed Oriental girl. And everybody uh. says it like three different characters all say it. I drank a lot more than I thought the other night, and Gail's hair is not red, she's not oriental, and she was standing on a bar stool, so all in all, I'd say Cindy's quite a catch. I can't even imagine it. A six-foot redhead oriental. Yes, oh God. Yeah, I have big notes on Oh, that. redheaded. Shit, my bad. It was a six-foot tall redheaded oriental. <laughs> this was a PC violation. Nuts. This is the program that aims to talk about every episode of classic 90s sitcom Wings. Obey your thirst. So today we are talking about episode five of Wings, episode four of this podcast. And the episode is called There Once Was a Girl from Nantucket. It was originally broadcast on May 17th, 1990. Here is the synopsis from IMDb. There once was a girl from Nantucket. Brian asks the girl out, and she agrees on the condition that he finds someone for her friend Cindy, and he volunteers Joe. Joe initially refuses, but Brian guilts him into it. Later, he learns that Cindy is very quote-unquote popular, which makes him reconsider, but then Helen guilts him, and at their date, one of her exes shows up, and when he treats her crudely, Joe stands up for her. That's slightly accurate. Yeah. Those are the broad strokes, I guess. Yeah, because, like, Joe stands up for her by Brian's prodding. I kind of, like, grew to, like, Brian more in that moment, even mm-hmm. though Brian was, like, being a little dipshit. But I was still, like, like, yeah, fucking stand up for this girl. Like, Sorry Agreed. for cursing to, the, to our Christian listeners. No, we're not. <laughs> um, and I have kind of an update from our uh, second episode where we talked about Sam Pancake. I added him on Twitter, just asked him, like, Hey, what was your experience on Wings like? And he replied, and this is what Sam Pancake had to say. It was my first line on a TV show, and I was overwhelmed but thrilled. And there was an earthquake on stage one day during rehearsal. Also, Steven Weber is a gem. Ah, uh, that's good to hear. So good on you, Sam Pancake. And before we dive deep into the episode of Wings, uh, let's discuss some news of the day And these articles come from the Boston Globe. And this issue was dropped on everyone's doorsteps on May 17th in the year of our Lord, 1990. In the year of our Christian Lord. Yes. (laughs) Most obviously. Come on. I'm not a Christian. I I think I can safely say that Jared is not either, but we probably were both grew up in it. I wouldn't even say I grew up in it. You know, what my story was is like at a very young age, realized my parents weren't religious and Mm. but there was enough religious stuff in the ether that i started feeling like guilty and scared so i i coaxed my neighbors into taking me to church and went to enough sunday school stuff to realize oh i don't like this interesting my birth certificate says christian on it even though both of my parents were scientologists when i was born and if it, if it wasn't for the um, wonderful religion of Scientology, I wouldn't exist in this world. And so 
I'm thankful every day <laughs> for yeah. that. My mom continues to be a Scientologist. My dad passed away in the 90s um, as a Scientologist. I don't think either of them would be like in what's her name's sites. Uh, Rhea Rumini? Yes. Wow. So the first thing I grabbed from the May 17th, 1990 issue of um, the Boston Globe is the Applebee's ad. (laughs) We have a cartoon. We got Naked Eve and we got Naked Adam. We don't see anything on Eve because her hair's covering it up, but she's offering uh, Adam an apple. And he's saying, it's tempting, Eve, but I'd rather go to Applebee's for the chicken fajita salad, the hickory roasted ribs, and the fudge nut <laughs> fantasy. You're, you're lying. I did not see that ad. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's out there, Applebee's. Yeah, it's pretty good. God damn. I never even, I don't think I ever tried an Applebee's until the aughts. They weren't like in my neighborhood. I'm not sure if I've ever eaten at an Applebee's. I'm sure I have. I think there's like one in Northridge that I've eaten at. And I was like, oh man, a few years ago, because Applebee's is not doing great. They've been like pulling some pretty desperate moves recently. And a few years ago, they were offering like $1 margaritas for like the whole month of, of like okay. of November or something. And like my buddies and I were like, we gotta go, we gotta yes, go take yeah. take. I'm sure they were like probably terrible margaritas, but yeah, that is good. I think what what jumped out to me was um, we had the passing of Jim Henson and Sammy Davis Jr. both on that day. I remember this now because that I went. I remember the day because I was such a huge Jim Henson fan. I wrote a like school paper about how he was my hero. And the day he died, I had to go to the dentist. And I remember that at that point may have been just like the most depressing day of my life. Wow, you remember that? Yeah, I remember it because I was like sitting, I remember sitting in the dentist chair, just sad about Jim Henson. Do you remember like sitting in the dentist chair, uh, listening to like whatever music they were playing? And as the song ends, uh, the commercials come on and they go, Tune in to NBC tomorrow for a brand new episode of Wings. Uh, Joe gets tricked into going on a date with the Al- the Island Bimbo or, yeah. or something. Yeah. I love Jim Henson. I, I grew up watching um, Sesame Street, which I don't know, like I don't know how much of, of like creation he has in that, but like I know that they use a lot of his characters that he created. Yeah. And then I loved the Muppets movies growing up. I, re- I think I remember hearing that. Around the time that he was passing, he was um, in developments with Disney, you know, to see like if they could. Because I think I think that like the Jim Henson company wasn't like wasn't going super strong at the time, mm-hmm. and so I think Disney was gonna step in and kind of like try to produce his next few movies. And I think that around the time of his passing, I was probably I was probably watching like Muppet specials on the Sunday night ABC Disney whatever those specials were. I used to love the the show. It might have been late 80s, early 90s, where I think it was like Jim Henson's Storyteller or something. Yeah, It would just yeah. be like hour-long, like, fables. And... Yeah. They felt very, like, sleepy time to me, like, in a very comforting way, yeah. and I really liked that. Yeah. What's the next uh, headline that jumps out at you? Well, this is insane. This is um, Ask Beth, and it's one of those, you know, like, Miss, Miss Manners slash ask whatever like what are those mm-hmm. advice columns but this like this is insane the headline parents punishment seems abusive the following are excerpts from the flood of letters i received concerning the 14 year old boy 
who was beaten for masturbating and then forced to sleep naked with his door open. <laughs> it is like, that's so fucked up. So this this is like a follow-up to like a previous, I guess, advice that she had gotten. But like... She advised the parents to beat their child. She's like... I mean, she's very much on the side of like, just fucking let kids masturbate. But like, like a lot of these are just kind of like random comments from readers. Like one, re- one re- reader says, This sounds perverted to me, as if his parents are getting some kind of illicit thrill out of trying to catch him masturbating. Tell that kid to talk to a counselor or someone in authority. No one should have to put up with that stuff at any age. It's a violation of their rights. And then someone else writes, This is child abuse and should be reported to the authorities. Get real! <laughs> That's wild that um, this kind of family drama is spilling into the, the advice column. Yeah. I wonder yeah. what that guy... That guy's around our age, so I wonder where, what he's up to today. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, just like a few years older than us. Probably got like some major phobia. Like there was actually even a follow-up question from somebody like, Dear Beth, you always say that master... You always say... (laughs) I wonder if this comes up a lot. (laughs) You always say that masturbation is healthy and normal. Well, I'm a 14-year-old girl and one morning my mother walked into my room and found me masturbating. She made me take off my nightgown and took me over her knee and beat me with the paddle. If masturbation is such a normal thing, why did I get beaten? And then her response is saying, like, the answer is that some people don't agree with me. I always preface that statement by writing, today experts believe that masturbation is normal and healthy. However, various religions have uh, preached for a long time that the practice is a sin. Some still do, so that many people still feel it is wrong. Your mother must be one of them. I I think what she did is a great mistake for the reasons I gave above. Agreed. Way to go, Beth. And this is the the kind of stuff you're missing if, like, in today's day and age, no one gets the paper on their doorstep every morning and reads it. They, you know, just check, like, their their feed. You're not getting these kind of advice columns, silly advertisements, and cartoons. I, th- I think we lost something there when we stopped um, all subscribing to newspapers. There is something, like, rereading through all these is, like, a weird kind of um, nostalgic comfort. Like, it's kind of... I do miss this. Mm-hmm. I miss. I also miss the fact that, like, back then, you would read the whole paper because that was your primary source of oh, news. Yeah. You weren't, like, you know, getting pop-ups in your RSS feed. And, wow, I said that like an old man. But <laughs> <laughs> you weren't, you know what I mean? Like, you weren't, like, uh, relying on, like the, like, the instant news from being on the Internet. You had yeah. to, like, read through the paper and kind of, like, like, you know, like little... You would catch bigger news stories on TV, but... The little stuff was still kind of harder to find. So what's your astro- astrological sign? I'm an Aquarii. Oh, we're both Aquarii. So it says, enjoy life a little today. Take a long lunch with the Sagittarius and window shop afterward. The evening finds you uh, thinking about property and sources of funding for your wishes. Guys, oh, some man. of these pages are better scanned than others. So. That, that's fucked up, man. I was not think- doing any of that stuff on may 17th i was just sad about jim henson all day oh man i was fully i was fully enjoying life a little that day (laughs) and i had a really long lunch with my friend lucas who was born between november 22nd and december 21st making him a sagittarius okay i uh page one the headline grabbed me louisiana case galvanizes death penalty debate and basically you had a uh, 17 year old black youth who was found to have brain damage, who uh, his brother and him got pulled over in their car for a busted taillight. And uh, this 17-year-old 
child uh, shot and killed the cop. So an all-white jury uh, sentenced him to death. And so I guess this, you know, sparked the death penalty debate. And it the story is interesting to me for so many reasons, because when you talk police profiling, it's often busted taillights or like what they use as an excuse to pull someone over. And um, so it's just a sad story that I think is still prescient today. And I looked up the statistics in the year 1990 in the U.S. There were 23 executions and 2021 last year, there was 11 executions. So that's where we're at with the death penalty. I don't know if we had like less executions in 2021 from like if that's just the trend or maybe that's COVID related because a lot of courts and everything were were all tied up and that's possible and like I don't think that they've really like really made electrical chairs COVID safe you'd have to like wear your wear your mask and stand six feet away when you sit into the chair there's my boomer joke of the day uh, I guess they uh I guess they don't think that like uh gas chambers are uh socially distanced enough. <laughs> I'll let you I'll let Jared be um the vo- the voice of intelligence and I'm going to read you guys a review of a various artists CD that got released um May 17th, 1990 called Baseball's Greatest Hits. Let's play Volume 2 <laughs> by Rhino. The greatest of baseball's hits. Casey at the bat, who's on first? Take me out to the ball game. We're used on the first disc, but there's plenty left for the the sequel. Peter Paul and Mary's right field is a touching ode to those banished to where the ball is rarely hit. Jane Morgan's baseball baseball is an infectious, bouncy tune from 1954 about a woman in love with a man who's in love with baseball. Like, do they got the put me in, coach? I'm <laughs> ready to play. I don't think so because I don't. Um, they they would have mentioned it. I think today. The licensing on that was probably too much. Maybe. I'll, I'll skip ahead. Like, Seven Days Knock It Out of the Park is entertaining and energetic as their best work. Let's see. It says that there's only one uh, one disappointment. The only disappointment is the damn Yankees version of You Gotta Have Heart, which should have been left to the superior rendition by the now defunct Orchestra Luna. For that, it's wait till next year. <laughs> See for volume three <laughs> again with like what we're missing out on, you know, Anthony Fantano isn't reviewing like the baseball music compilation CDs. Okay, this headline grabbed me. Bush presses Congress for Latin aid. So basically, he went begging to Congress for an eight hundred million dollar package for Nicaragua and Panama, and he kind of chided Congress uh, for going on break. And he's like, "Hey, work through Memorial Day break because you got to approve this." And Reading this article is just glaring, like, what's missing. If if you just fell out of the sky and didn't know Bush and didn't know Panama or Nicaragua, you think he's just, like, trying to help them out. But, you know, they omit, like, his long history in there, both when he was, like, head of the CIA and vice president. He was chiefly responsible for ushering in Noriega into Nicaragua and, you know, the Iran-Contra funding the all the narco trafficking and arming the contras to overthrow the government basically and just a year prior on December 20th in 1989 he ordered an invasion of Panama with 26,000 troops which ended up killing about a thousand civilians and leaving 10,000 people homeless prior to that you know the CIA spent 10 million dollars like meddling in their elections and stuff so he was no stranger to Panama and Nicaragua. And 
I, I'm just kind of blown away how you can read a news story that leaves all the context out. And I think it just goes to show, like, you can be up on the news and reading the paper or watching CNN, but if you don't know the background or the context of things, you can really be uninformed. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what, what else grabs you in the paper? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought this was interesting. I, like, went to the end where the movie reviews were. One and a half stars to uh, Pretty Woman. (laughs) Out of four stars, Richard Gere, as a takeover tycoon, takes over prostitute Julia Roberts and does a Pygmalion number on her in this woman-bashing affair masquerading as light romantic comedy. All it seems to think is wrong is her clothes sense. It's oblivious to its real motor, the woman's submissiveness, and presentation of the prostitute's work life is falsely sanitized. Wow. Who wrote that review? Pauline Kale? I don't know, but also released that week or in the same period, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which gets two and a half stars. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I don't think anyone would contest that review because, you know, but. But they write, who'd have have dreamed that four hunks of green rubber could have entertainment value? Nothing earth shaking here. But they're cute as they prowl in the, prowl the sewers in search of pizza, and their four-foot-tall rat guru who needs rescuing from a samurai Darth Vader. <laughs> I love that description. I wonder if they would like historically reevaluate that review because I don't think any. I think everyone pretty much agrees both those movies are classic kind mm-hmm. of movies, and Pretty Woman is you know a hard to assail good movie. Pretty Woman. I, I don't know if I would if I like have seen it recent enough that I could give a review of it, but it did great. Mm. box office boffo wise yeah but i'm we're climbing the um the steps here because we have pretty woman that got one and a half stars we have ninja turtles that got two and a half stars and now we have a a movie that got three and a half stars house party (laughs) you're lying (laughs) i'm not lying smart and sweet with a hip-hop beat this is the black teen party film that's going to turn rap into a crossover phenomenon Although it's indigenously black enough not to need to. Rappers Kid and Play are fresh and disarming in their different ways. Play in his sunny party animal persona, and especially Kid, who's both hot-wired and coolly ironic, yearning, yearning yet lightly self-mocking. Wow, okay. I like, I love House Party, but I don't remember it being like, that good. No, I enjoy all those movies, but I think they kind of got their star ranking out of order in terms of like maybe i mean they did get like four four and a fourth of july as a four star cinema paradiso gets three and a half stars right alongside house party that's that's a good uh double feature at the drive-in that weekend i was trying to find like a one star driving miss daisy gets four stars i never i've never actually seen that movie yeah but i was looking for like like a one star movie that i could talk about but i've never heard of far out man or the first power I don't think I have any other major headlines, just in other news, you know, they're still talking um, South Africa apartheid, they're still talking USSR stuff, Lithuania stuff, and all that good good things. Any other, anything else grab you from this issue? The one last thing is an article about Twin Peaks, and this section particularly captured me because they say... Emerson notes the plot similarities between the ABC series and the 1944 movie Laura starring Jean Tierney as an apparent murder victim who turns out alive. Emerson points out that the man stalking Laura 
is the in the movie was named Waldo Lidecker, played by Clifton Webb. Now pay attention. In Twin Peaks, veterinarian Bob's uh, last name is also Lidecker, and a bird featured in the show is named Yes yeah. Waldo. Brilliant sleuthing, Emerson. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did read that. It's a different Emerson, though. Yeah, it's, it's not you. It's Fess Jim up. Emerson. Jim yeah. Emerson. Yeah, and I, I like that. You know, Twin Peaks was really that popular that they can just fill the Boston Globe with someone's headcanon of of what's going on with Twin Peaks and mm-hmm. David Lynch plagiarizing um, the movie Laura and pretty wild. They love the idea that that like somebody in San Bernardino was selling t-shirts that say, I killed Laura Palmer. Yes. Because like, they mentioned that in this article, and I read it like in another article that they wrote in the Boston Globe. I did go on eBay to try to find one of those shirts, and I failed. Ah, curses. I'm signing up for alerts on that. Cool, let's um, review some of the talent for this episode. I This episode was produced by Roz Doyle. It was written by Dave Hackle. We previously talked about him. And directed by Noam Pitlick. Yeah, so these are all... Um, people that directed, wrote, or produced some of the previous episodes. Some interesting guest stars. We had Megan Mullally. Oh, I love Megan Mullally. Yeah. She's so funny. And I love that weird choice of how she chose to play. Oh, I don't know. I can't, I can't even do an impersonation right now, but yeah. As yeah. Cindy. What do you know, best know her from? Um, I best know her from Party Down. <laughs> she like, she's comes in season two and she is like the funniest character in the entire series. Yeah. I know that she's um, most famous for Will and Grace, but yes. I, I didn't really watch that show. Yeah, so that's it, it's cool to see uh, a titan of sitcom acting. Yeah, in a very early mm-hmm. role for her. I mean, she had been acting since the early 80s, but she didn't have that, that many um, credits on her IMDb. But I think that she had probably been doing a lot of like theater, stage work and stuff. Yes. I read that she was into like ballet and dance as well. And now she's married to Ron Swanson. That's true. I, I was telling you before we recorded, I was in Saver's Thrift Store over the w- weekend before I watched this episode, and I I saw the book she did with Nick Offerman there. And like it was in that moment where like, I was like, oh, should I buy this? Should I not buy this? Ended up not buying it, but mm-hmm. it, it was in my recent memory. Very cool. No, Joe, don't do it. She's got that kind of like, this kind of funny like '80s Valley Girlish. Yeah, there's an affectation to yeah. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of this nail polish color? And then so who's the other guest? Then we had uh, Ben Middleman who played Jimmy. I thought Jimmy had like a really interesting face, and I think you know he's played into that. I saw some of his credits are like playing gangsters and ne'er do wells, but. Uh, he's had parts on Remington Steel, Cagney and Lacey, and he appears in the movie Dead Heat, a movie I love with Joe Piscopo, a fun uh, 80s action flick. I've never seen that one. Yeah. And he went on to appear in Fre- Fre- play, be on episodes of Frasier and Cheers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought, like, because I looked up him as well, and I thought that he uh, plays a good middleman between uh, Joe and Cindy. The name fits. Also, uh, he he later went on to make a documentary. Um, I forget what it's called, but basically, it's about him like battling cancer, while his like wife also battles a disease, and his mom. Yeah, but I was trying to like think, what if? So, what if he went on to marry Cindy, mm-hmm. and that's the wife battling disease? And what if Faye's his mom? We don't know. Oh, I have two more guest stars. Okay, so Huck Liggett, he had a 
line about he teased Joe sitting at the counter. Uh, but Kelly Britt, she played the woman at the counter who interacted with Faye. Uh, oh, yeah. And it looks like Wings was her last role. Uh, but she had a, kind of a reoccurring role on Small Wonder, and, and she had a story arc on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Did you ever watch Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman? No, I had Mary I, Hartman. I did Mary not. Hartman. That's <laughs> no. a show I heartily recommend, that show. Okay. I mean, that show actually, I think, has parallels with Twin Peaks uh, kind of tonally. Okay. It feels like, you know how they were watching the soap opera on Twin Peaks? It feels like it could have been that. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's like one of my all-time favorite shows. Who did you say was the previous guest star? The one, the guy that's like chatting with Lowell, is that who it is? Yeah. And, and he, he says, and like, Joe oh. walks in and he's like, I heard you're dating a slut. Something like that. Yeah. Like, oh, and he goes, God. who told you? And then Lowell goes, it was a slow news day. Yeah. <laughs> Before we dive into it, we have a Brian's Tie Report. <laughs> Brian's Tie Report. So my only note, I think you said that you have more notes than me on this one, so I'm just going to mention my note real quick. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's true, but I did write that it looks like his tie that he wears as part of his second outfit looks like it's part of the t-shirt or part of the button-up shirt he wears in the first scene. Yes, yeah, that shirt in the first scene was like pastel-y with swishies and like, stuff. Yeah, real dark and kind of yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, he had two ties in this episode, but they looked like they came from the same collection. Okay. They were both kind of silky black ties with pastel-y kind of sw- swooshes on them. Yeah. Like, the first one is like scribbles, kind of like you'd see on a solo cup. And then the other one had kind of s- Swirsh, uh, swipey lines like rings almost. Okay. Neither of these ties blew me away, but they, you know, they had some flair to them. Do you have any other opinions on those ties? Not the ties, but I did write that um, for his first outfit, I wrote no tie, but crazy long sleeve button up tucked into hev- to very heavily pleated khakis. Yes. There is some pleats going <laughs> yes. on. And that first shirt he w- was wearing uh, looked like it was like a poly rayon blend, like that some, you know, yeah. swinger in the seventies would wear. There is um, a lot of cocaine caked into that nylon, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so we find out that Lowell is on a boat. Yeah. So we're entering uh, Lowell notes on our Lowell Google Doc of just interesting. We're writing the biography of his life and keeping track of notes. And yeah, you nailed the one note I made from this episode is we learn Lowell lives on a houseboat with his wife. Yeah. There's not really an A, a B, and C story, right? It's all kind of it's just an A story that everything kind of revolves around. Mm-hmm. We like we learn that Faye has buried three ex-boy husbands named George, which yes. is a pretty funny line, like runner where she is surprised that that woman, your other guest star thinks it's unusual that she buried three husbands named George, but she's like, we bury our dead where I come from. Yes. <laughs> like, missing the, the like overarching. Oh, Joe, do you, did you bury your father when he died? I wrote that Lowell lives on a boat. He knows about Cindy, and he likes to gossip. I thought it was an interesting touch that, like, Lowell would be up on, like, that kind of gossip. Yeah. I thought this episode, there was a lot of slut-shaming going on, and I did not care for it. Yeah, agreed. You know, what this stems from is Brian tries to hoist off a woman onto Joe to date her, Cindy, so that he can date the woman he wants to date. But everyone points out to Joe that Cindy is a popular gal. A popular gal in, like, 
a very insinuating sort of way. You're not a professional, but the island's ranking amateur, as, yes. as uh, Roy puts it. I actually like uh, was exploring this because like the opening scene is basically Brian, who decides that after like working two is it two weeks without getting fired, yes, that he needs to celebrate. Brian just just looking for an excuse to go out there and like get drunk, and so he runs past everybody. Uh, Lowell can't go because his there's a root there's a leak in his house. Um, and then, like, Brian goes ceiling and goes, oh, no, I live on a boat. It's from the mm-hmm. floor. Faye can't go because she's thawing out her food for the weekend. Uh, <laughs> Helen can't go because she doesn't date pilots, which we find out about her. Roy can't. Uh, never mind. Yes. <laughs> well, he, he just decides he not decides. to ask Roy. Yeah. And then um, I think that leads into him going into, like, the hangar to, act, to convince Joe which leads to them, like, kind of Brian trying to get, like, convince Joe to, like, play one-on-one basketball against him. Mm-hmm. Brian teases Joe about his, like, social life. I thought it was a funny joke when Joe pulls out, like, a notepad and writes down social life. Oh, yeah. I must get to that. Um, but then, like, yeah, it ends, the scene ends without anybody really going. But then we find out in the next scene that Brian went by himself. Okay, when they're, when they're balling in the hangar. Yeah there's an interaction where, you know, Brian's like, oh, uh, getting you a date will be my project. And Joe's all... He says, like, the next time you do something like this, I ended up in court. And then Brian goes, yeah, thanks a lot, witness for the prosecution. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any idea of what you think uh, the project that got Brian into court was? Um, let's hear one of your theories. And I want to see, like, if uh, if I'm fo- following the right thread. Okay, I think Brian might have been uh, smuggling gas station sex pills, like horny goat's weed and that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Did those exist back then? Yeah, uh, yes. Okay, really? Yes. Wow, wow. As a 10-year-old boy at the time, I can say yes, they did. Okay. What if um, Brian had a scheme to convince, like, the entire roster of, like, a local strip club... I don't know, like, like come, come on, like a, a rented yacht or something. Yes, but it's a a yacht in the sky. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's something similar. Like I was thinking, like, what if it was bang bus but on an airplane? Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. I think maybe he was like flying a plane and maybe saw some um, cheerleader car washes and he did a uh, barnstorming. <laughs> now I think more realistically, he was uh, probably flying charter flights to Epstein's island. Yeah. That's probably true. Oh, wait, no, those people didn't get prosecuted. I mean, neither did Brian. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. We'll see. Witness for the testimony, uh, well, yeah. for the prosecution. I loved some of... Stephen Weber is, grows on me a little more every episode. I would agree with Sam Pancake. It seems like he truly is a gem. Mm-hmm. But I'm loving like his physical comedy in these. And the moment you noted when he's like so happy, he... He hasn't lost the job in two weeks. He does this, like, dance. He looks like a um, leprechaun jauntily obfuscating the whereabouts of his pot of gold. And then, <laughs> and then he segues into jumping on the counter. And oh, he's yeah. just like, you know, a lot of people look like a dork doing that, but it works for him. Yeah, he looks like a dork. But mm-hmm. um, I wrote down, too, Brian's outfit is very wild, which is my way of saying he looks like a dork. Mm-hmm. But he's full of energy and confidence. So I'm sure 11-year-old Emerson... Um, would have thought he was super cool. And I don't mean myself, Emerson. I mean Jim Emerson. From the Boston Globe. Yeah, from the Boston Globe, who wrote about Twin Peaks. <laughs> yes. He's got, like, a lot of fun energy. He's got, like, like he's fast. He's got, mm-hmm. like, quick barbs and stuff. Yeah. 
after the last couple episodes, I was like giving the show some credit. I'm like, okay, Brian's kind of taken off the gas. He hasn't been as creepy. And I was happy to see he had a friendship with Helen that, you know, he wasn't constantly hitting on her. But in this first scene, he immediately starts hitting on Helen. Yeah. And, you know, she has to practice the cello and doesn't date pilots. And I just thought he was coming on way too strong. I also kind of read some of that as like uh, the two of them kind of had like have like a, f- a friendly kind of back and yeah. forth. But also, I don't know if, if I think that because it's reminiscent of like friend the friends I had in the 90s. Yes. And our interactions were probably heavily influenced by shows like this. Yeah. That yeah. I to me, it's clear that he's joking. What, what makes a sitcom a sitcom, you know, is the mm-hmm. fact that like nobody is going to like react in such a way where it's clear that this is like truly affecting their lives everything is like kind of just light everything goes back to stasis in the end yeah but then when they're to jump ahead when they're in on the date later on and the scene opens up brian's like say why did we never hook up back in high school and i like or back in middle school yeah i like how he's like running his finger around the rim of the cup and like batting his eyelashes as he says it <laughs> oh i didn't notice <laughs> that <laughs> and but then they had to wedge in a, a fat joke there helen says oh it's because you were obnoxious and he's like oh yeah and you were fat yeah i'm like oh yeah yeah i like that she gets like the final word though mm-hmm. she goes well i got thin basically yes. insinuating that she got thin but he's still obnoxious still obnoxious yeah and i'm I think at this point, like, we should have some sort of celebration jig when an episode goes by where they don't discuss Helen's weight. Oh, yeah. That's, a good, sure that's they, a good call. There's not yet been an episode where they don't discuss Helen's weight. Yeah. I also like the idea that Joe is an intimidating basketball player. Oh, my God. Which, before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that, like, Brian, like, kind of, like, pokes, prods him a few times to, like, play one-on-one. Joe grabs the ball, runs up, does, like... Like a slam dunk, but like the camera cuts to showing him. Oh yeah, <laughs> they cut to an extreme close up and called in the stunt man, and it w- it was just weird. Yeah, you know. And then he says, first to eleven, fifty dollars or hundred dollars or something mm-hmm. like that. And Brian's like, oh, gotta go. Yeah, but Joe Joe doesn't want to go on this date. Yeah. And Brian talks him into it by saying like, oh, the dream girl I always dreamed about, a six foot tall red headed oriental doesn't doesn't he even just say it's like the dream and then joe knows exactly what yes, he's talking about like he, you you met a six foot tall redheaded oriental girl okay we need to make allowances for certain like use cases of language of the 90s because times change and some words that aren't acceptable today will be tomorrow and vice yeah. versa but i feel like even in the 90s oriental was not not and not in favored vernacular. I liked um, when Helen is convincing Joe to go on the date with him. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, you know, she's trying to change. Like Helen's telling Joe that like uh, that Cindy's making an effort to like change her reputation and like not be seen as this like this easy girl or whatever. Yes, yeah. Like that that gets treated like we see later gets treated like like she should be available for every like douchebag's yeah. whim and pleasure. And Helen's like, you know, yeah, do it for this. And then she goes, and you know, if she decides not to reform, maybe you'll get lucky. And yeah. then she does this cackle. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> I kind of liked it. Yeah, I, I liked like, it. Pretty but weird. They waste no time getting lots of digs in mm-hmm. on on Cindy, who 
when you see her actually in scenes, you know, she's passionate about makeup. That's mm-hmm. all she talks about. She's the head makeup girl at that store. It's mm-hmm. like she's she's in a position of like responsibility and yeah. she's she's really good at like like we see later that she like completely nails uh Helen's yes. makeup. Like I mean, she's a very skillful makeup person. Yeah, and I feel so bad for her because she, uh, especially Roy, but everyone's just disrespecting her. Uh Roy has one line like where oh he brings Brian her phone number and he's like oh you'll need this it was carved on the post over there yep you know he has a line of like uh, he says I I knew a guy that didn't date her twice last week or something like that yeah <laughs> so bad so yeah. bad and then you know Brian he had some off-putting dialogue in this one uh, the whole run where he does with Joe where he's like chicks dames broads birds skirts honeys and it just felt like Really old school Hollywood. Yeah. Skirts, honeys, okay, honeys, okay, honeys. I get it, I get it. <laughs> you sure? Because I know these 38 different euphemisms. More to get into specific body parts. And icky. Yeah, 100%. But for his credit, you know, Joe does have on his mind that he does want to give Cindy a chance and give her an opportunity to... Um, you know, because she's expressed that she wants her reputation to change. and Right. Wants... Like, like, I actually kind of, like, love Joe in this one. Mm-hmm. First, some stuff and some stuff I don't. Yeah. Like, it's clear that he doesn't feel comfortable going out with her, but he decides to do it anyway because of, like, what Helen convinces him. Like, to, you know, he, like, is forced to see her as a human being. Yes. Because previously he was like, well, I'm a businessman on this island. I have a reputation to uphold. And, like, I don't want people talking about me behind my back, which I can kind of understand. But also yeah. it's kind of kind of corny. But also it does seem like he's uncomfortable with her from the beginning. She Like, they have very different energies. And, like, I don't, I don't see them being yeah. a successful couple. No, yeah, yeah, for sure. It is kind of nice that, like, he sees that she's wants to date a nice guy and like that she sees him as a nice guy and he's like you know what let's just go on a date and like let's just deal with it yeah his that's kind of like bullshit what he said though because like his reputation yeah it's like pilots are most known for laying pipe everywhere they go (laughs) yeah and secondarily they're known as the people that fly your planes by the way Faye totally knew what she was doing when she when she suggested that he put something extra in his wallet. Wait, oh, in his wallet? Yeah, yes, she knew what she was doing. Faye, yeah, she... Faye was talking about that condom. She's yeah, like, you're gonna get that D. Oh yeah, yeah, and and Joe, you know, he's huh huh, huh? but then oh, you're talking about a five dollar bill, not, <laughs> a, not a prophylactic. The club car. Oh, the club car club. The, yeah, looks like the most awful place to spend an evening i disagree really it's a real place and i looked it up no and i think the so the exterior the exterior is a real place exterior is real like, the interior might also be it was totally a set it was a set okay yeah for sure um but yeah the exterior and i looked it up on on google maps and looked at like interior shots and it's like a, like a legit awesome nice restaurant yeah what is it that joe what's the menu item that joe uh was considering like the the, the fisherman's bucket or something. Oh, I didn't catch that. Anybody know what's in the Neptune's bounty? Oh, man. We should call uh, the club car and see if, they, if they're if they serving that tonight. 
Let me guess. You guys just watched episode five, season one, Wings. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like so used to that question. Well, it's the kind of place, you know, you go in there and they have like a framed uh, photo still from the show on the wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. An article from the local paper about. In real life, part of the restaurant is like an old um, trolley car or something. Okay. The bar area has like that kind of sort of domed ceiling and like a. Um, it's long. Yeah, it's long. Yeah. But then the main restaurant area looks, it looks like what, like the same shape as in the show, but um, everything is like all white and clear and clean. So this date uh, transpires at the club car and they're not, uh, they haven't even ordered yet. They're just, haven't even got their water brought to them yet. And uh, this, this guy, Jimmy walks up. What was your sense of Jimmy's character? Uh, like just a good douchebag. Yeah, total du- total douchebag. He's yeah. trying. He obviously had had uh, relations with Cindy at some point, or was familiar with her, and was trying to get her number. Yeah, and like I couldn't tell if this was like a restaurant or just a bar. Yeah, because they're like like when Joe and Cindy show up, Brian and Helen had like a couple of empty empties in front of them, right? Like one or two yes. empty drinks. It, it feels more like. A bar that serves food as mm-hmm. opposed to like like a restaurant that you can yeah. drink at. They were definitely sitting down to dinner though. I got that sense. That yeah. Were, yeah, yeah, that's true. But it had like a everything was kind of bare wood and like not a lot of decor. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but apparently you said that looks like a nice place to hang out. I didn't. In current, like uh, if you look at the pictures, um, okay, the real place, not the, the real. Yeah, place. but that actual. Yeah, that looked. High key lighting and just like, but ugh. I would, uh, I would have like, I would love to time travel back and like have a drink at that bar. Hey boy, who do you think you are? I'm from Los Angeles <laughs> in the year 2022, sir. <laughs> so yeah, this guy, Jimmy, Jimmy comes up, starts uh, talking up Cindy. Cindy is like immediately uncomfortable, and Joe is just like reading the menu and like not ignoring mm-hmm. the situation and it's like kind of a bummer like i feel like yeah. like i mean brian's like, the one who jumps up and he's trying to defend her but also deflecting all of everything onto joe yeah yeah oh hey buddy whoa whoa, whoa whoa i'm not your buddy i'm just trying to have a couple of laughs with the lady here well cindy is with my brother joe now she doesn't laugh anymore <laughs> Uh, Brian, maybe you should. Yeah, Brian, maybe you should. Okay, look, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, we're just trying to have simple little dinner here. Oh, really? Really wish you wouldn't do that. Joe does not care for sarcasm. Hey, Joe, if you got a problem, just speak up. Oh, now you've done it. He hates that. What? I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to cause Cindy, any Cindy, trouble. it's not about you. This is between Jimmy and Joe. <laughs> And then, uh, eventually, like, Joe, like, um, stands up and, like, says, like, you know, says something, and the guy takes a swing at Joe. Yes. Joe, do- Joe dodges. I thought that was, like, pretty well choreographed. It was one of the most amazing, like, pun- punches in the- on TV. Yeah, it was, like, really well done. Yeah, they got a, they got a double punch. Yeah, basically, and he misses Joe, and he hits Brian. He doesn't miss Joe, though. He, he connects with both of them. Oh, I thought he, I thought he missed Joe. No, no, and then that's why in the last scene, they both have... Um, they both have uh, braces on their noses, and then Roy walks in and is like, oh, you look like the Sphinx Brothers. Oh, see, I thought that uh, that Joe's uh, nose brace came from when he went outside to confront the guy again. Oh, that could be, but I'm, I, it, I don't know. We could watch it again. Um, listeners, maybe you can watch this and tell us what you think, but I say 
it was a double punch with both connecting. Okay, we're going to watch it again right now. <laughs> Yes, we're only one. No, there was two. No, only one. No, dude, there was fucking two. I swear to God, we gotta, we gotta hash this out. All right. Okay, so we paused and we paused, we paused and rewatched it, and it was clearly a double punch. The the punch connects to Joe and Brian. Um, to me, it's clear that Joe dodges it. And the punch connects only to Brian. Jared says he can hear a double punch. I can only hear a single. Yeah, the, no, in the sound effects, it's like. And all I hear is. No, it's. Uh, please, somebody. It's clearly a double punch. Hashtag Emerson is right. No. <laughs> and not Jim Emerson of uh, San Bernardino making his t-shirts or whatever. I'm positive. Because, like, like also, after the punch. So your theory is. Unseen, they go outside and fight, have a little bit more fisticuffs, and that's yeah. where Joe gets. Yeah, because here's what happens. I mean, okay, I know Jared disagrees, but but basically Brian riles up the guy. The guy, like Joe, stands up. The guy takes a swing at Joe. Joe dodges. The guy punches Brian. Brian is sitting there holding his nose because he's already been hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe and the guy like like have an altercation. They're like whatever hands on lapels. Yeah, they're shoving. The the bar staff are like, you guys gotta go. And Joe goes, I'll take care of this. And he follows the guy outside where they have an unseen altercation. And then next scene, you see you see Joe has a splint as well. They That's, both they both have a like a, a boo boo on their nose. Yeah. See, I, I, I like your version because that makes me think that Joe got to beat up the guy, which is what I yes. wanted to happen. Yeah, you should have seen the other guy. But I think what actually happened is that the guy like just beat up Joe outside. Yeah, gave him a, a punch. No, Both it was... Hackett brothers got, got, uh, got knocked around. I wanted to see them, you know, unite. Like, it would have been nice to see if they, like, you know... The two of them should have been able to take oh, Jimmy. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah, but... No, it was clearly a, a double punch where that first punch connected to both. All of you, who do you think? Well, who's right? Is it Emerson or Jared? And don't forget to spell Jared all weird. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> was it J-A-R-R-E-D? Yeah. Yeah. The door is jarred. I have another friend. Oh, <laughs> like that. I have another friend who's uh, J-E-R-R-O-D, so he's Gerard. Yeah, yeah. There's a million. For every Jared, there's a different way to spell it. And then I'm Emerson with only one M, and if anybody could tell my Aunt Penny, you know, <laughs> that uh, after 43 years, it is still only one M. Is she double M in it? Yeah. So it's like, M. I've been getting, like, birthday cards from her since I was a kid that say, Emerson. Well, are, do you send her birthday cards? Oh, I don't, but yeah, I should probably write pin in it. So, you should just be grateful that she's so thoughtful. Oh, yeah. 100%. I love my aunt. <laughs> So like yeah, my I did have a lot of thoughts about that bar scene and that like I was really hoping to see I don't know. I mean I guess in a sitcom you don't really want your main characters to be like real brawlers. Yes. But I wanted to I was hoping to see like them show a little bit of like unity between each other and then like also even if like Joe's not gonna marry Cindy, at least kinda like do like the gentlemanly thing. Like Yeah. At I least know. Brian was trying to. Brian was like white knight it. 
Yeah, Brian was trying to yeah white knight it. Joe was being the em- the Emerson of the bar. Like if I was on a date with a girl and some guy started hitting on her, I'd be like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. No, that's no. not true. But like I would I would be. That's my nightmare scenario. Yeah, and I know what you mean, especially if it's like a first date where you're like, you feel like, oh, I don't, you know, maybe she knows this guy, maybe she likes this. I don't. Who am I to interject? I love the ending. Like the ending where Cindy shows up and she's yes. doing this dramatic exit. Joe, I'm leaving you, you know? Yeah. Um, and she tries to walk away and Joe keeps following her. And then um, she's like, no, Joe, don't do this. Like heightening yes. it. And then eventually he's like, I'm your pilot. <laughs> I got to go to this plane. I'm flying it, lady. Yeah. yeah. You know, I did love that scene for Cindy and it made me feel sadder about Cindy's life. And also made her character that much more dynamic for me but uh sad because you know if you feel for her she has to move to a whole new city to get away from her reputation yeah but also it made me feel like she's kind of perhaps like addicted to love because she really they had one date that ended after 10 minutes and it really feels like she's accelerating their relationship by feeling like she needs to break up with them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of telling me maybe she has this reputation because she latches onto men quickly because she's just searching for love. And it made me really, my heart, uh, heart hurt for her. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's a great, great take. But also, like, she's going to have way more opportunities in Boston. Oh, yeah. And, like, so I looked at the Nantucket population. It's currently, or at least as of 2018, 11,327. That's a pretty small community where, like, I think a reputation like that might be kind of hard to, like... I mean, God. Because, like, based on that guy, Jimmy... Yes. There probably are some, like, really douchey dipshits. Well, like, even when... Yeah. When she just walked in the bar and everyone was like, Oh, oh, Cindy! uh," The whole crowd ogled her and called her in her name. And And who knows? Like, maybe she just, like, broke up with with a guy and, like, that guy just was was poison and just, like spread rumors about her that weren't even true yeah i don't think boston's a city for her because i'm just imagining instead of these nantucket knuckleheads hollering at her and you know being sexist towards her imagining the boston men doing that but with like the worst accent that's ever existed i don't mind the boston accent okay well yeah yeah. imagine jimmy who talks like um you know ben affleck in goodwill hunting or something oh yeah I like to imagine, like, there's a follow-up episode that we don't see. Joe, it's Cindy. I met this really great guy. Uh, his name is Sam Malone. He runs a bar. Oh, <laughs> you nailed it. That's, like, so yeah. going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. And then Malone's going to tell Cliff and Norm, and it's just going to spread all over town. And I'm sorry, Cindy. I feel for you. You know, I thought Roy had zingers in this episode. Honestly, like... Uh... You know, not all the slut shaming and stuff, but the line I probably laughed hardest at was when he called them the Hackett brothers, the the Sphinx brothers. Oh yeah. And then he uh, he followed it with uh, you boys. He followed that line with you boys throw a mean nose. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. <laughs> I like. I mean, I don't like the context, but I I thought it was like well written. The um, where like Megan Mal- or Cindy Cindy goes to the bathroom to fix her. Oh, that was a great line, too. What did she say? Like When she says, 
I have a re- real awful feeling that my eyeliner is wrong. Yeah, my eyeliner is really wrong. <laughs> I just like that. I have an awful feel. I have this emotional connection to my eyeliner. Yeah. So while she's gone, um, Roy, like Roy, like like Roy's explaining whatever, like they're telling Joe who she is, and then like like Joe goes, she's a professional. And Roy goes, uh, she's not professional, but she is definitely the island's raking amateur. Yes. And then yeah. Cindy comes back out, and she's like, um, she's like, yeah, like I fixed my thing. I, I, uh, like I'm so ashamed. Like my eyeshadow all wrong, and me a professional. And then Roy goes, I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's in the context. I don't like it, but I thought it was like, like a yeah, well written, well cons- phrased. Yeah, everything about Cindy, like even her. That that sense of oh I'm feeling like my eyeliner's wrong. It's just making me further believe that she's having these esteem issues. Mm-hmm. Poor she, that she really cares about what people. Yeah. Oh, I read that she auditioned to be Helen. Okay, Megan really? Mullally. Yeah. Okay. I feel, like that, cast, I feel like the yeah. show would have been like even better. Yeah. <laughs> With uh, Megan Mullally playing the. It's hard to say. There's yeah. Because no, Crystal Bernard is so good in the role and. Yeah, Crystal Bernard is good, but she's kind of boring like mm. you know what i thought was really cute though i love the helen line where somebody where like a joe no sorry where brian mentioned cindy and then crystal or uh sorry helen and remember like actor from actress mm. helen is like huh joe and cindy cindy and joe like picturing it and yeah. she's like i can see that like on a hand towel i mm-hmm. thought that's like kind of like an interesting like like view into how she like views romance like, yes Imagining the couple's items the together. Of yeah. Living together. Yeah. It would be, a, I think it would have like a much different feel if uh-huh. Megan Mullally was playing her. Yeah. And I hate to revisit this, this theory from the last time we talked. Cause, uh-huh. cause it's really creepy and gross, but I'm again thinking like these Hackett brothers, there's some weird incestuous sexuality to them. Cause like there's the triangle with Helen and last week, where Lowell mistakenly thought that they were romantically linked. Yeah. But it's this episode where, you know, this whole dating thing, Brian is really wrapped up in his brother's sexuality and trying to get him a woman. And, you know, Brian, you don't often see being so selfless, but he really, initially it's so he could get the date with Gail, but that quickly dissipates. Uh, and he's just doing anything he can to get Joe to go on this date. And I'm like, why is he... I feel like maybe it's one soul that shares two bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's like the duality of their mind and, like, you know, Brian's all ego. And there's something there that I'm not going to uh, dig, be able to dig out of my brain that um, Lowell planted in there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, like... Because uh, that opening scene, actually, I thought that the the line about one-on-one he's just, he's like, what does yeah. he say how does he say he's like how are you not gonna do some one-on-one you should be getting some one-on-one like yes i thought that was like funny a funny like play yeah. of words wing 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 hello oh hey is this the wings nuts podcast oh yeah who's we have a, a caller into who is this well funny you should ask it's me lol from the TV show Wings. Yep, I'm still uh, over here working at Sandpiper Air. Wow, wow. What's changed in these uh, ensuing years? I'll tell you. 
Things changed a lot post 9-11. Yep, Helen's counter got an extra sandwich maker. Okay. Do you require people to take off their shoes there? And what's the security like? There's a lot of insecurity. Uh, if you think about the Hackett brothers, still can't get a date. Yeah. How about your love life, Lowell? Still married? Still married. It's been 35 beautiful years. The wife and I just got a golden doodle. Really? And it, the dog? Uh, nope. A drawing by a local artist named Jimmy Draws in Gold. How about how about Helen? Is she still uh, rocking the cello? Helen, you know something? I haven't seen Helen in a while. That's because I got this eye surgery, but I hear her voice on occasion, and it sounds like she's doing great at that double sandwich counter. Well, Lowell, I mean, we're so, like, excited that you're a listener to this podcast. Yep. Uh, big fan. And I look forward to you guys watching more episodes so you can have more details that are accurate to the show. Hey, feel free to call in anytime, Lowell. Well, I gotta run because I'm training for the new Boston Marathon. Wow, that was really impressive. Ever since you walked out of the room, you missed it, but Lowell called in. Oh, man, really? Yeah, that Crazy. was... Crazy. Um, so... Is, is like Joe a stud? <laughs> in, in the first scene, Joe's wearing a long sleeve shirt that's not a button up. It's tucked into jeans with no belt. It's like such a corny outfit. Yeah, he has no swag, is what mm-hmm. you're saying. But like, I'm sure that like women viewing at the time were like, Tim Daly. Yeah, yeah. And I think like maybe them playing him up as like kind of normcore dork, I think that actually might have He's a, perhaps fueled the passions. Oh, yeah. Like, viewers would be inclined to say, like, oh, these sexies, oh, he's so misunderstood on this show, like. I also, like, so I, I've been trying to play around with, like, this idea, because both Joe and Brian are pilots. Yes. We we don't know what their dad did for a living at yeah. all. Joe talks about, like, how proud he is of his airplane, and he yeah. says, like, do you remember, like, when I got my first Schwinn and stuff? Like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even sound like. Like airplane talk exists in the family. I wonder, I'm wondering if like both mm. brothers somehow found piloting on their own, or if like it is a family thing. I my theory is they were friends with Helen, and we know Helen's dad ran that little counter beforehand. So I think they came there after school, like stole a free coke and a bag of chips and watched planes coming and going. Okay, I like that theory. Yeah, that's yeah. actually kind of great. But their dad, you know, I think their dad was actually an actor. Buddy Hackett. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. Yeah. I think their dad was the spring snake salesman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Their dad uh, designed the world's first escape room. Oh, my God. Their dad's, like, secretly still alive. <laughs> and he's just, like, planning, like, uh, a surprise for, like, two years down the line. Oh, that'd be great. I've been alive the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a goblin. Yeah, I was gonna say like, oh, I saw, I was watching, I watched Analyze This. Okay. Yesterday, yeah. um, the actress that plays Faye is in it. Okay. And it was like cool seeing her. I was like, fucking Faye. Faye. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was gonna hang out at any place so far in the the Wing series, oh, I guess the airport would be like my first destination. But that bar yeah. club bar the would club be like car. my second. You're in the club, the club car. car. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pl- kind of place where wild fracases. That's the kind of place where I would um, order like a boiler maker. Yeah. 
And like, although I don't know if it would truly be my bar. I know that it, it exists in real life. And so if I ever like somehow end up in Nantucket, I'm definitely going to go there first. I think we should just go give, um, give them a five star Yelp review right now and just say, I saw it on wings. Sure. Yeah. Wings brought me here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and people, then people go in the restaurant and try to order wings and be like, we don't have wings. What are you talking about? <laughs> I came here because of the wings. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit, we talked about an episode of Wings. Yes. How many stripes would you give this one? So far, I think I gave two stripes to the pilot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that, like, for the double header, yeah. I think I gave it two and a half. Like, I think I gave three to one and then two to the second. Yes. So I ended up on two and a half. I think I might have gone... Because what was the second episode? That was the one about... Hell, oh yeah, and w- like w- one of the the, the storylines was yeah her putting on that sexy dress. Yeah, I, did we did we give it a strife rating? Yeah, we did. Okay, then I think I would have gone. This one I would maybe go back to two. Yeah, I gotta like, say there, oh, I, there yeah. were some good jokes on this. Yeah, uh, I'd give it a two as well. I thought there were good jokes, but they're just two. The slut shaming was not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I th- I liked so let's see I loved also I loved seeing that new location so I loved seeing mm-hmm. that bar, and I thought Megan Mullally was really funny at that ending scene was great, um, that scene of the bar kind of bummed me out but it was also kind of fun yeah like some fun choreography with that single punch yeah the du- the, the double punch yeah <laughs> um, yeah um, I don't I don't know I think they're batting par for me like mm-hmm. like some of their other episodes lot lots to love and lots to go yikes. I think I would go like two and a half to three if it wasn't for the six foot tall redheaded oriental yes. girl and all the slut shaming. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, those like knock it down. Yeah. Emerson, thank you for sitting down and talking wings with me. Yeah. Okay, so me and Emerson talked about Wings episode five. There once was a girl from Nantucket. This is the penultimate episode of season one. We're going to see the sixth and final episode next week. Can you believe we already almost finished the first season? They're crazy, yeah. And I guess we're going to have a Twitter now, so look out for a link for that. <laughs> yep. Follow us. And, um, geez, that was a lot of fun. And our I should mention our theme song remix is by EJ Foyas. Thank you, EJ, for that theme song. Yeah, dude, thank you. It's awesome. So, Emerson, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lowell, for winging in. Yes. For thank the wing you. wing. Yeah, yeah. Lowell. I can't believe I missed that. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'll try to catch him next time he calls in. Yeah. Thank you so much, and we will watch Wings again next week. Beep, boop, beep. beep.